chapter sixteen of abraham lincoln a history volume nine this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org abraham lincoln a history volume nine by john hay and john george nicolay chapter sixteen lincoln re-elected from the moment the democratic convention named its candidates the stars in their courses seemed to fight against them during the very hours when the streets of chicago were blazing with torches and the air was filled with the perfervid rhetoric of the peacemen rejoicing over their work hood was preparing for the evacuation of atlanta and the same newspapers which lay before their readers the craven utterances of the vallandigham platform announced the entry of sherman into the great manufacturing metropolis of georgia so close together came bane and antidote the convention had declared the war was a failure and demanded that the government should sue for terms of peace lincoln's reply three days afterwards was a proclamation announcing the signal success that divine providence has recently vouchsafed the country at mobile and atlanta and calling for devout acknowledgment to the supreme being in whose hands are the destinies of nations he also tendered by proclamation the national thanks to farragut canby and granger and to general sherman and the gallant officers and soldiers of their respective commands and ordered that national salutes of one hundred guns should be fired on successive days from all the arsenals and navy yards in the united states in honor of these glorious victories thus amid the prayers and thanksgivings of a grateful people and the thunder and smoke of great guns uttering from their iron throats the general joy the presidential campaign began the darkest hour had come just before the dawn and the light broadened on the political campaign from beginning to end it would of course be unjust to describe the mass of the democratic party as lacking in patriotism and as advocates of a dishonorable peace but parties are judged by their general tendencies and not by the virtues or vices of individuals and the two parties in the north in eighteen sixty four were differentiated with sufficient definiteness in the public mind as the peace and the war parties in the south there was no shade of doubt as to this distinction the hopes and prayers of the revolt were centred on mcclellan's success they deplored confederate military disasters more for their political effect in the north than for any other reason the charleston courier of the seventh of september contained a leader on the fall of atlanta in which the dependence of the rebellion upon democratic success was frankly avowed all of us perceive it said the intimate connection existing between the armies of the confederacy and the peacemen in the united states these constitute two immense forces that are working together for the procurement of peace our success in battle ensures the success of mcclellan our failure will inevitably lead to his defeat the article goes on to lament the disaster at 
atlanta which would cloud the promising prospect of the peace organization by which the entire democratic party was meant one of the earliest speeches of the autumn was made by mr seward at his home in auburn new york he spoke avowedly without authority from the president yet as well from his intimacy with mr lincoln as from his commanding place in the administration his speech demanded and received great attention he said while the rebels continued to wage war against the government of the united states the military measures affecting slavery which have been adopted from necessity to bring the war to a speedy and successful end will be continued except so far as practical experience shall show that they can be modified advantageously with a view to the same end when the insurgents shall have disbanded their armies and laid down their arms the war will instantly cease and all the war measures then existing including those which affect slavery will cease also and all the moral economical and political questions as well questions affecting slavery as others which shall then be existing between individuals and states and the federal government whether they arose before the civil war began or whether they grew out of it will by force of the constitution pass over to the arbitrament of courts of law and to the councils of legislation referring to the chicago declaration in favor of the immediate cessation of hostilities and the paralyzing effect on the action of the government which would follow the success of the democrats upon such a platform he asked in that contingency who can vouch for the safety of the country against the rebels during the interval which must elapse before the new administration can constitutionally come into power the opposition journalists immediately seized upon this as a threat that the administration was determined to keep itself in power whatever might be the verdict of the people and this clamor went on until the president as we shall show put an effectual quietus upon it mr lincoln himself took little part in the contest he was forced from time to time to assist with his presence charitable demonstrations in favor of the sick and wounded soldiers and being always obliged on these occasions to say a few words he acquitted himself of these necessary tasks with dignity and discretion he made no personal reference to his opponents and spoke of his enemies north and south with unfailing charity and moderation regiments of soldiers returning to their homes after their term of service was over sometimes called upon him and in brief and pithy speeches he thanked them for calling and always added a word or two of wise or witty political thought speaking to an ohio regiment he defined in one phrase the essential character of our republican government with more accuracy and clearness than ever jefferson had done i wish it might be more generally and universally understood what the country is now engaged in we have as all will agree a free government where every man has a right to be equal with every other man in this great struggle this form of government and every form of human right is endangered if our enemies succeed there is involved in this struggle the question whether your children and my children shall enjoy the privileges we have enjoyed 
when you return to your homes rise up to the height of a generation of men worthy of a free government and we will carry out the great work we have commenced to another regiment he said i happen temporarily to occupy this big white house i am a living witness that any one of your children may look to come here as my father's child has it is in order that each one of you may have through this free government which we have enjoyed an open field and a fair chance for your industry enterprise and intelligence that you may all have equal privileges in the race of life with all its desirable human aspirations it is for this that the struggle should be maintained that we may not lose our birthright the nation is worth fighting for to secure such an inestimable jewel being invited to attend a union mass meeting at buffalo the president at first thought of writing a letter and we find among his papers the following fragment in his own manuscript yours inviting me to attend a union mass meeting at buffalo is received much is being said about peace and no man desires peace more ardently than i still i am yet unprepared to give up the union for a peace which so achieved could not be of much duration the preservation of our union was not the sole avowed object for which the war was commenced it was commenced for precisely the reverse object to destroy our union the insurgents commenced it by firing upon the star of the west and on fort sumter and by other similar acts it is true however that the administration accepted the war thus commenced for the sole avowed object of preserving our union and it is not true that it has since been or will be prosecuted by this administration for any other object in declaring this i only declare what i can know and do know to be true and what no other man can know to be false in taking the various steps which have led to my present position in relation to the war the public interest and my private interest have been perfectly parallel because in no other way could i serve myself so well as by truly serving the union the whole field has been open to me where to choose no place-hunting necessity has been upon me urging me to seek a position of antagonism to some other man irrespective of whether such position might be favourable or unfavourable to the union of course i may err in judgment but my present position in reference to the rebellion is the result of my best judgment and according to that best judgment it is the only position upon which any executive can or could save the union any substantial departure from it ensures the success of the rebellion an armistice a cessation of hostilities is the end of the struggle and the insurgents would be in peaceable possession of all that has been struggled for any different policy in regard to the colored man deprives us of his help and this is more than we can bear we cannot spare the hundred and forty or fifty thousand now serving us as soldiers seamen and laborers this is not a question of sentiment or taste but one of physical force which may be measured and estimated as horse-power and steam-power are measured and estimated keep it and you can save the union throw it away and the union goes with it 
nor is it possible for any administration to retain the service of these people with the express or implied understanding that upon the first convenient occasion they are to be re-enslaved it cannot be and it ought not to be after he had written thus far he seems to have changed his mind as to the good taste or the expediency of aiding even thus far in his own canvass he therefore laid his letter aside unsigned and wrote a brief note declining to address the meeting on the ground first that it would be a breach of precedent and secondly that if he once began to write letters it would be difficult to discriminate between meetings having equal claims although the dignity and self-control with which mr lincoln held himself aloof from the work of the canvass had been generally acknowledged there is one incident of the campaign which was the object of severe criticism at the time governor johnson in accordance with the request of the state convention of tennessee had issued a proclamation specifying the manner in which the vote for presidential electors should be taken the qualification of voters and the oath which they should be required to take the democratic candidates on the electoral ticket of that state regarding themselves aggrieved by these requirements of the convention and the governor united in a protest against this proceeding and one of their number john lelliot was sent to present the protest in person in the account of his interview with the president which he published in the newspapers mr lelliot said that the president told him he would manage his side of the contest in his own way and the friends of general mcclellan could manage their side in theirs it is not impossible that in a moment of irritation at the presentation of a petition which was in itself an insinuation that he was making a selfish and corrupt use of his power the president may have treated mr lelliot with scant courtesy but he took the protest nevertheless and told him he would answer it at his convenience there is certainly nothing of malice or of petulance in the grave and serious tone of the reply which the president sent a few days later to the mcclellan electors of tennessee he informed them that he had had no communication whatever with governor johnson on the subject of his proclamation that he had given to the subject such consideration as was in his power in the midst of so many pressing public duties he said my conclusion is that i can have nothing to do with the matter either to sustain the plan as the convention and governor johnson have initiated it or to revoke or modify it as you demand by the constitution and laws the president is charged with no duty in the conduct of a presidential election in any state nor do i in this case perceive any military reason for his interference in the matter the movement set on foot by the convention and governor johnson does not as seems to be assumed by you emanate from the national executive in no proper sense can it be considered other than as an independent movement of at least a portion of the loyal people of tennessee i do not perceive in the plan any menace of violence or coercion toward any one governor johnson like any other loyal citizen of tennessee has the right to favor any political plan he chooses and as military governor it is his duty to keep the peace among and for the loyal people of the state i cannot discern that by this plan he purposes any more but you object to the plan 
leaving it alone will be your perfect security against it do as you please on your own account peacefully and loyally and governor johnson will not molest you but will protect you against violence so far as in his power i presume that the conducting of a presidential election in tennessee in strict accordance with the old code of the state is not now a possibility it is scarcely necessary to add that if any election shall be held and any votes shall be cast in the state of tennessee for president and vice-president of the united states it will belong not to the military agents nor yet to the executive department but exclusively to another department of the government to determine whether they are entitled to be counted in conformity with the constitution and laws of the united states except it be to give protection against violence i decline to interfere in any way with any presidential election the mcclellan electors thereupon withdrew from the contest lincoln and johnson electors were chosen but their votes were not counted by congress the most important utterance of the president during the campaign was a speech which he made on the evening of the nineteenth of october in which he referred to the construction which had been placed on the remarks of the secretary of state at auburn already quoted he thought the distorted and unjust conclusions which had been drawn from seward's remarks had gone far enough and that the time had come to put an end to them and he seized for that purpose the occasion of a serenade from a party of loyal marylanders who were celebrating in washington the victory which the party of emancipation had gained in the elections in their state he said a few words of congratulation upon that auspicious event and then added a word upon another subject something said by the secretary of state in his recent speech at auburn has been construed by some into a threat that if i shall be beaten at the election i will between then and the end of my constitutional term do what i may be able to ruin the government others regard the fact that the chicago convention adjourned not sine die but to meet again if called to do so by a particular individual as the intimation of a purpose that if their nominee shall be elected he will at once seize control of the government i hope the good people will permit themselves to suffer no uneasiness on either point i am struggling to maintain government not to overthrow it i am struggling especially to prevent others from overthrowing it i therefore say that if i shall live i shall remain president until the fourth of next march and that whoever shall be constitutionally elected therefore in november shall be duly installed as president on the fourth of march and that in the interval i shall do my utmost that whoever is to hold the helm for the next voyage shall start with the best possible chance to save the ship this is due to the people both on principle and under the constitution their will constitutionally expressed is the ultimate law for all if they should deliberately resolve to have immediate peace even at the loss of their country and their liberty i know not the power or the right to resist them it is their own business and they must do as they please with their own i believe however they are still resolved to preserve their country and their liberty and in this in office or out of it i am resolved to stand by them 
during the progress of the campaign mr lincoln was frequently called upon to assist his friends to oppose his enemies and to exercise his powerful influence in appeasing discord in different states and districts he interfered as little as possible and always in the interests of the party at large rather than in those of individuals he took no account of the personal attitude of candidates towards himself in the case of those who were among his intimate friends he would go no further than to demand that government officers should not work against them when isaac n arnold of chicago who had incurred the hostility of mr scripps the postmaster of that place complained of the opposition of that official and called upon the president to put a stop to it the president would do nothing more than to order the offending postmaster to content himself with the exercise of his own rights as a citizen and a voter and to allow his subordinates to do the same the postmaster answered as was natural that this was precisely what he had been doing and that this was the source of mr arnold's complaint that the congressman wanted his active official assistance and would be satisfied with nothing less although arnold was an intimate and valued friend of the president he declined to exercise any further pressure upon the postmaster and mr arnold soon afterwards withdrew from the contest after candidates had been regularly and fairly nominated the president had no hesitation in doing all in his power to conciliate hostilities and to unite the party in support of them he tolerated in these cases no factious or malicious opposition on the part of his office-holders and he laid his hands most heavily upon those injudicious friends of his own who attempted to defeat the re-election of republican congressmen who had not been especially friendly to him a large number of the leading republicans in roscoe conkling's district had declared their intention to oppose him mr conkling's friends appealed to the president claiming that the republican opposition to him had its rise and origin among friends of the secretary of state the president commended their complaint to the attention of mr seward and answered for himself i am for the regular nominee in all cases and no one could be more satisfactory to me as the nominee in that district than mr roscoe conkling i do not mean to say there are not others as good as he in the district but i think i know him to be at least good enough being informed of some hostility on the part of the custom-house officials in new york against frederick a conkling he wrote similar admonitions to them the postmaster of philadelphia being accused of interference against william d kelly the president sent for him and following his custom in grave matters he read to him a reprimand which he had committed to paper in the following words complaint is made to me that you are using your official power to defeat judge kelly's renomination to congress i am well satisfied with judge kelly as a member of congress and i do not know that the man who might supplant him would be as satisfactory but the correct principle i think is that all our friends should have absolute freedom of choice among our friends my wish therefore is that you will do just as you think fit with your own suffrage in the case and not constrain any of your subordinates to do other than as he thinks fit with his this is precisely the rule i inculcated and adhered to on my part when a certain other nomination now recently made was being canvassed for the reform of the civil service had not at that time been formulated by its friends nor even adopted in principle by the country at large yet it would be difficult even in the light of this day to improve upon this statement of its essential principle as applied to the conduct of office-holders the postmaster of course 
promised exact obedience but later in the summer the president was informed on authority that he credited that of the two or three hundred employees in the post office not one was openly in favor of the renomination of judge kelly upon learning this mr lincoln wrote to an influential friend in philadelphia stating these facts and adding this if true is not accidental left to their free choice there can be no doubt that a large number of them probably as much or more than half would be for kelly and if they are for him and are not restrained they can put it beyond question by publicly saying so please tell the postmaster he must find a way to relieve me from the suspicion that he is not keeping his promise to me in good faith the postmaster felt at last the hand of iron under the velvet glove and kelly was renominated and re-elected as he was ever after till his death to the honor and advantage of his district and state the summer was full of brief panics and flurries among the politicians and they were continually rushing to mr lincoln to urge him to action or inaction in the interests of the canvass we believe there is no instance in which he yielded to these solicitations a matter of especial difficulty was the draft for half a million of men which had been issued on the eighteenth of july leading republicans all over the country fearing the effect of the draft upon the elections begged the president to withdraw the call or suspend operations under it mr cameron so late as the nineteenth of october after the state elections had been secured advised against the draft in philadelphia mr chase on the same day telegraphed from ohio which had been carried triumphantly by the republicans a few days before recommending the suspension of the draft for three weeks judge johnson of ohio reports that he was with the president when a committee came from ohio to request him to suspend the draft until after the elections and that mr lincoln quietly answered what is the presidency worth to me if i have no country but these solicitations were not all in the same direction general sherman telegraphed from the field if the president modifies it the draft to the extent of one man or wavers in its execution he is gone forever the army would vote against him the politicians and the general probably exaggerated in equal measure the army would not have rejected him if he had seen fit to suspend the draft and the people stood by him in his refusal to do it he went so far in compliance with the earnest request of the union people in indiana as to write to sherman expressing his sense of the importance of allowing as many of the indiana soldiers as possible to go home to vote most of the other states which voted in october allowed their soldiers to vote in the field indiana had not passed the necessary legislation for this purpose the draft was steadily proceeding in that state and in the opinion of the leading men there was endangering the success of the union party in the elections anything you can safely do mr lincoln wrote to let her soldiers or any part of them go home and vote at the state election will be greatly in point they need not remain for the presidential election but may return to you at once he was careful however not to urge general sherman to any course of action which he might consider injurious this is he added in no sense an order but is merely intended to impress you with the importance to the army itself of your doing all you safely can yourself being the judge of what you can safely do there were also reports from missouri that rosecrans was inclined to deny the soldiers the right of attending the elections on the assumed ground that they would get drunk and make disturbance the president on being informed of this quoted to rosecrans the following words from the letter which he had written to schofield at elections see that those and only those are allowed to vote who are entitled to do so by the laws of missouri 
including as of those laws the restrictions laid by the missouri convention upon those who may have participated in the rebellion this said lincoln i thought right then and think right now and i may add i do not remember that either party complained after the election of general schofield's action under it wherever the law allows soldiers to vote their officers must also allow it the opposition to mr lincoln within the ranks of his own party did not entirely die away even after the chicago nomination and the changed political prospect which immediately followed it so late as the twentieth of september thurlow weed wrote to mr seward that the conspiracy against mr lincoln collapsed on monday last it was equally formidable and vicious embracing a larger number of leading men than i supposed possible knowing that i was not satisfied with the president they came to me for cooperation but my objection to mr lincoln is that he has done too much for those who now seek to drive him out of the field their last meeting was early last week at the house of dudley field it was attended by greeley godwin wilkes tilton opdyke curtis noyes and twenty-five others of the same stripe he also stated that a circular had been sent to leading republicans in other states inquiring as to the feasibility of making another nomination for president at that time that the malcontents finding themselves in solitude had concluded to break up operations and try to control the regular state convention this letter referred to a movement which at one time assumed a certain importance about the middle of august a number of leading republicans belonging to the faction in new york opposed to mr seward who had been displeased at the unanimous nomination of lincoln at baltimore and who by constant conversation among themselves had become convinced of his unpopularity endeavored to organize a demonstration against him which should force him to withdraw from the ticket they had the earnest support and eager instigation of henry winter davis in maryland of the editors of the cincinnati gazette in ohio and what would have surprised mr lincoln if he had known it of charles sumner in massachusetts general butler was the favorite candidate of most of this singular cabal and he sent a representative to their conferences mr chase gave in a guarded adhesion and daniel s dickinson not having been nominated for the vice-presidency at baltimore was naturally full of anxiety and alarm over the manifest downward tendency of things they met with severe rebuffs from several quarters where they expected assistance roscoe conkling refused bluntly to sign their call jacob calamer thought it inexpedient when the country woke up to the true significance of the chicago platform the successes of sherman excited the enthusiasm of the people and the unionists arousing from their midsummer languor began to show their confidence and regard towards the republican candidate the hopelessness of all efforts to undermine him became apparent and one by one all the men engaged in this secret movement against him fell into line and did their best to elect him after every semblance of open hostility had disappeared everywhere else in the country the fire of faction still kept it alive in missouri a singular state of things existed there the radical party had almost entirely absorbed the union sentiment of the state the conservative party the president's friends had almost ceased to exist the incumbents of the government offices a few of the intimate personal friends of blair still stood out against the radicals and so long as this attitude was maintained the radicals while working vigorously for their state and local tickets refused to avow themselves in favor of lincoln so far as can be ascertained the only reason for this absurd position was that 
the clay banks as the conservatives were called wished the radicals to declare for lincoln as a pretext by which they could join the vast majority of their party and the radicals spitefully refused to allow them this accommodation thomas c fletcher the radical candidate for governor refused during the greater part of the campaign to make any public statement that he would vote for lincoln his reason for this privately given was that he feared such an announcement would alienate from his support a large number of the more furious anti-lincoln germans at last however he concluded to declare for the regular republican presidential ticket and a meeting was appointed for the purpose but to the astonishment of the moderate union men he went no further at this meeting than to say he would not vote for mcclellan and in explanation of this singular performance he told the president's private secretary that he had found at the hotel where his speech was made a letter of the clay bank committee offering their support on condition of his declaring for lincoln and that he would not be coerced into it the president sent messages to the moderate unionists expressing his desire that the childish quarrel should come to an end and they to do them justice desired nothing more the only condition of their support which they made was that candidates should declare themselves for lincoln which they in turn would have been willing to do if it were not that the claybanks requested it so far as practical results went the party was united enough mr nicolay reported it seems to be very well understood that with the exception of very few impracticables the union men will cast their votes for you for the radical congressmen for the emancipation candidates for the state legislature and the state convention so that in practice nearly everybody is right and united while in profession everybody is wrong or at cross purposes this was surmised while the clatter of factious fighting was going on and was abundantly proved by the result while the radical candidate for governor only claimed that he would be elected by a majority of ten thousand which claim by many of his party was considered sanguine when the votes were counted it was found that lincoln had carried the state by the immense majority of forty thousand the electoral contest began with the picket firing in vermont and maine in september was continued in what might be called the grand guard fighting in october in the great states of pennsylvania ohio and indiana and the final battle all along the line took place in november vermont and maine were carried by good republican majorities the canvass in the latter state having been managed by james g blaine with a dash and energy which gave a presage of his subsequent career before the october elections came on auguries of republican success had become so significant and universal that there was little doubt of the result in the best informed political circles the president however was too old a politician to be sure of anything until the votes were counted and it was not without some natural trepidation that on the evening of the eleventh of october he walked over to the war department to get from the telegraphic instruments the earliest intimations of the course of the contest the first dispatch he received contained the welcome intelligence of the election of rutherford b hayes and his republican colleague from the hard-fought cincinnati districts next came dispatches announcing a republican majority in philadelphia and indicating a similar result in the state of pennsylvania the news continued very much in the same strain during the evening and the president in the lull of dispatches read aloud to stanton and dana selected chapters of the nasby papers as the votes of the soldiers in the different camps in the vicinity of washington began to be reported they were found to be nearly unanimous in favor of the republican candidate the proportion among 
western troops being generally that of ten to one among the eastern troops although there was everywhere a majority it was not so large carver hospital by which lincoln and stanton passed every day on their way to the country gave the heaviest opposition vote reported about one out of three lincoln turned to the secretary and said that's hard on us stanton they know us better than the others the sum of the day's work was of enormous importance indiana indicated a gain of thirty thousand in two years governor morton and the entire republican ticket were elected by twenty thousand majority with a gain of four congressmen pennsylvania whose representatives in congress have been equally divided now changed their proportion to fifteen against nine and made her legislature strongly republican in both branches with popular majorities ranging from ten to fifteen thousand the unionists carried ohio by a majority of over fifty four thousand and effected a complete revolution in her representation in congress for while in eighteen sixty two she had elected fourteen democrats and five republicans she now sent to washington seventeen republicans and two democrats but the success of the day which lay nearest to the heart of the president was the adoption in maryland of the new state constitution abolishing slavery forever on her soil the majority was a very slender one the vote of the soldiers in the field being necessary to save emancipation but it served and the next month the union majority was greatly increased it would seem strange that after this decisive victory there should have been any room left for hope or confidence on the side of the opposition or for anxiety and panic among republican politicians but alternating fits of confidence and despondency are inseparable from all long-continued political campaigns and even after these overwhelming successes we find the democratic speeches and papers full of boasting and the private correspondence of experienced republican leaders full of tremor and apprehension the president however had passed through his moment of despondency and from this time to the end entertained no shadow of doubt of the result mr washburne wrote to him on the seventeenth of october from galena it is no use to deceive ourselves about this state everything is at sixes and sevens and no head or tail to anything there is imminent danger of our losing the state and more in the same strain the president laid away the letter writing on the envelope the single word stampeded ten days later washburne had recovered his spirits and wrote logan is carrying all before him in egypt earlier in the campaign mr washburne desiring to do all in his power to forward the union cause had written to grant asking permission to print a letter from him in favor of lincoln grant replied that he had no objection to this but he thought that for the president to answer all the charges the opposition would bring against him would be like setting a maiden to work to prove her chastity a friend of mr seward communicated to him about the same time an astonishing mare's nest in which he claimed to have discovered that the opposition policy for the presidential campaign would be to abstain from voting the secretary submitted this letter to the president to mr lincoln with his lifelong observation of politics this idea of abstention from voting seemed more amusing than threatening he returned the letter to the secretary with this endorsement more likely to abstain from stopping when once they get at it as the time drew near for the election in november a flight of rumors of intended secessionist demonstrations in the principal states of the north covered the land the points of danger which were most clearly indicated were the cities of chicago and new york we have related in another place the efficient measures taken to prevent any outbreak in chicago with the arrest and punishment of the conspirators the precautionary measures in other states prevented any attempt at disorder 
to preserve the public peace in the city of new york and to secure the guarantee of a fair and orderly election there general butler was sent with a considerable force of troops to that city he issued an order on the fifth of november declaring that troops had been detailed for duty in that district sufficient to preserve the peace of the united states to protect public property to prevent disorder and to ensure calm and quiet he referred to the charge made by the opposition that the presence of union troops might possibly have an effect upon the free exercise of the duty of voting at the ensuing election he hotly repudiated this accusation the armies of the united states he said are ministers of good and not of evil those who fear them are accused by their own consciences let every citizen having the right to vote act according to the inspiration of his own judgment freely he will be protected in that right by the whole power of the government if it shall become necessary he denounced energetically the crime of fraudulent voting but did not assume to himself the duty of separating the tares from the wheat he simply warned the evil intentioned that fraudulent voting would be detected and punished after the election was over governor seymour had been as usual much exercised for fear of executive usurpation at the polls and had issued a proclamation on the second of november urging the avoidance of all measures which would tend to strife or disorder he called upon sheriffs of counties to take care that every voter should have a free ballot in the manner secured to him by the constitution and laws and to exercise the full force of the law and call forth if need be the power of their districts against the interference of the military in the vicinity of the polling places there was by no means a unanimous agreement among even the supporters of the administration as to the expediency of sending general butler to new york at this time the action was taken by mr stanton on his own responsibility thurlow weed disapproved of it and up to the day of election thought on the whole the proceeding was injurious in spite of butler's admirable general order but butler acted under the circumstances with remarkable judgment and discretion he devoted the days which elapsed between his arrival and the election to making himself thoroughly acquainted with the city with its police arrangements and the means at his disposal to preserve order every hour was occupied with a careful study of maps of police arrangements of telegraphic communication between his headquarters and every part of the city and in consultations with general officers the creation of an improvised engineer department and the planning of a system of barricades in case of widespread insurrection but the object to which he gave special attention and in which he most thoroughly succeeded was the avoidance of every pretext for any charge of interference with the rights of citizens at the polls on the morning of the eighth of november although the city was absolutely in the hands of the disciplined military force which had been sent to guard it not a soldier was visible to the thousands of voters who thronged the streets but everybody knew that they were there and the result was as butler telegraphed to lincoln at noon on election day the quietest city ever seen to mr lincoln this was one of the most solemn days of his life assured of his personal success and devoutly confident that the day of peace and the re-establishment of the union was not far off he felt no elation and no sense of triumph over his opponents his mind seemed filled with mingled feelings of deep and humble gratitude to the vast majority of his fellow-citizens who were this day testifying to him their heartfelt confidence and affection and of a keen and somewhat surprised regret that he should be an object in so many quarters of so bitter and vindictive an opposition 
he said to one of his secretaries it is singular that i who am not a vindictive man should always except one have been before the people for election in canvases marked for their bitterness when i came to congress it was a quiet time but always except that the contests in which i have been prominent have been marked with great rancor in the evening he went over as was his custom to the war department the night was rainy and dark as he entered the telegraph room he was handed a dispatch from john w forney claiming ten thousand union majority in philadelphia the figures were so far above his estimate that he said forney is a little excitable a moment after a dispatch came from mr fulton in baltimore fifteen thousand in city five thousand in the state all hail free maryland a moment after there came messages from boston announcing majorities for samuel hooper and a h rice of something like four thousand each the president astonished asked if this was not a clerical error for four hundred but the larger figures were soon confirmed mr rice afterwards in speaking of these astounding majorities in districts where there was never the least charge made of irregularity at the polls quoted an explanation made by a constituent of his with no irreverent intention the almighty must have stuffed the ballot-boxes the entrance of general thomas t eckert who came in covered with mud from a fall in crossing the street reminded the president of an incident of his defeat by douglas he said for such an awkward fellow i am pretty sure-footed it used to take a rather dexterous man to throw me i remember the evening of the day in eighteen fifty eight that decided the contest for the senate between mr douglas and myself was something like this dark raining and gloomy from reading the returns i had ascertained that we had lost the legislature and started to go home the path had been worn hog-backed and was slippery both my feet slipped from under me but i recovered myself and lit clear and i said to myself it is a slip and not a fall mr fox the assistant secretary of the navy indulged in some not unnatural exultation over the complete effacement of henry winter davis from maryland politics mr davis had assailed the navy with a peculiarly malicious opposition for two years for no cause that mr fox could assign except that he was a brother-in-law of montgomery blair the president would not agree with him you have more of that feeling of personal resentment than i he said perhaps i have too little of it but i never thought it paid a man has no time to spend half his life in quarrels if any man ceases to attack me i never remember the past against him all the evening the dispatches kept the same tenor of widespread success in almost all cases above the estimates the october states showed increased majorities and long before midnight the indications were that the state of new york had cast her ponderous vote for lincoln and made the verdict of the north almost unanimous in his favor leaving general mcclellan but twenty-one electoral votes derived from new jersey delaware and kentucky two hundred and twelve being cast for lincoln and johnson it was two o'clock in the morning before the president left the war department at the door he met a party of serenaders with a brass band who saluted him with music and cheers and in the american fashion demanded a speech he made a brief response saying that he did not pretend that those who had thought the best interests of the nation were to be subserved by the support of the present administration embraced all the patriotism and loyalty of the country he continued i do believe and i trust without personal interest that the welfare of the country does require that such support and endorsement should be given i earnestly believe that the consequences of this day's work if it be as you assume and as now seems probable will be to the lasting advantage if not to the very salvation of the country 
i cannot at this hour say what has been the result of the election but whatever it may be i have no desire to modify this opinion that all who have laboured to-day in behalf of the union have wrought for the best interests of the country and the world not only for the present but for all future ages i am thankful to god for this approval of the people but while deeply grateful for this mark of their confidence in me if i know my heart my gratitude is free from any taint of personal triumph i do not impugn the motives of any one opposed to me it is no pleasure to me to triumph over any one but i give thanks to the almighty for this evidence of the people's resolution to stand by free government and the rights of humanity for several days the torrent of congratulations came pouring in general blair wrote from georgia where he was leading an army corps under sherman to the sea the vote in this army to-day is almost unanimous for lincoln give uncle abe my compliments and congratulations grant paused for a moment in his labors and in the investment of richmond to express his sense of the vast importance and significance of the election he thought a tremendous crisis in the history of the country had been met and triumphantly passed by the quiet and orderly conduct of the american people on the eighth of november the manner in which the president received these tumultuous demonstrations of goodwill was so characteristic that it seems to us worthy of special attention he was absolutely free from elation or self-congratulation he seemed to deprecate his own triumph and to sympathize rather with the beaten than the victorious party he received notice that on the night of the tenth of november the various republican clubs in the district of columbia would serenade him not wishing to speak extempore on an occasion where his words would receive so wide a publication he sat down and hastily wrote a speech which while it has not received the world-wide fame of certain other of his utterances is one of the weightiest and wisest of all his discourses he read it at the window which opens on the north portico of the executive mansion a secretary standing beside him lighting the page with a candle not very graceful he said but i am growing old enough not to care much for the manner of doing things there was certainly never an equal compliment paid to a serenading crowd the inmost philosophy of republican governments was in the president's little speech it has long been a grave question whether any government not too strong for the liberties of its people can be strong enough to maintain its own existence in great emergencies on this point the present rebellion brought our republic to a severe test and a presidential election occurring in regular course during the rebellion added not a little to the strain if the loyal people united were put to the utmost of their strength by the rebellion must they not fail when divided and partially paralyzed by a political war among themselves but the election was a necessity we cannot have free government without elections and if the rebellion could force us to forego or postpone a national election it might fairly claim to have already conquered and ruined us the strife of the election is but human nature practically applied to the facts of the case what has occurred in this case must ever recur in similar cases human nature will not change in any future great national trial compared with the men of this we shall have as weak and as strong as silly and as wise as bad and as good let us therefore study the incidents of this as philosophy to learn wisdom from and none of them as wrongs to be revenged but the election along with its incidental and undesirable strife has done good too it has demonstrated that a people's government can sustain a national election in the midst of a great civil war until now it has not been known to the world that this was a possibility 
it shows also how sound and how strong we still are it shows that even among candidates of the same party he who is most devoted to the union and most opposed to treason can receive most of the people's votes it shows also to the extent yet known that we have more men now than we had when the war began gold is good in its place but living brave patriotic men are better than gold but the rebellion continues and now that the election is over may not all having a common interest reunite in a common effort to save our common country for my own part i have striven and shall strive to avoid placing any obstacle in the way so long as i have been here i have not willingly planted a thorn in any man's bosom while i am deeply sensible to the high compliment of a re-election and duly grateful as i trust to almighty god for having directed my countrymen to a right conclusion as i think for their own good it adds nothing to my satisfaction that any other man may be disappointed or pained by the result may i ask those who have not differed with me to join with me in this same spirit towards those who have and now let me close by asking three hearty cheers for our brave soldiers and seamen and their gallant and skilful commanders in this lofty and magnanimous spirit he received all the addresses of congratulations that came in upon him in these days to a delegation from maryland who ascribed it to his rare discretion that maryland was then a free state he replied with deep appreciation of their courtesy and added that those who differed from and opposed us would yet see that defeat was better for their own good than if they had been successful he not only had no feeling of malicious triumph himself he had no patience with it in others when mr raymond who represented his special friends in new york wrote a letter breathing fire and vengeance against the officials of the custom-house who he said had come near defeating him in the race for congress the president merely observed that it was the spirit of such letters as that which created the factious malignity of which mr raymond complained to all those who begged for a rigorous and exemplary course of punishment for political derelictions in the late canvass his favourite expression was i am in favour of short statutes of limitations in politics he rejected peremptorily some suggestions of general butler and the war department having in view the punishment of flagrant offenders in new york we must not sully victory with harshness his thoughtful and chivalrous consideration for the beaten party did not however prevent him from feeling the deepest gratitude for those who had laboured on his side he felt that the humblest citizen who had done his duty had claims upon him hearing that deacon john phillips of sturbridge massachusetts a man who had already completed his hundred and fourth year and had voted at every presidential election since the foundation of the government had taken the pains to go to the polls to vote for him the president wrote him a grateful letter of thanks the example he said of such devotion to civic duties in one whose days have already been extended an average lifetime beyond the psalmist's limit cannot but be valuable and fruitful it is not for myself only but for the country which you have in your sphere served so long and so well that i thank you the venerable man who had attained his majority in the midst of the war of the revolution and who had arrived at middle age before this century opened answered in a note which greatly pleased and moved the president as coming from one of the oldest men living on the earth he said i feel that i have no desire to live but to see the conclusion of this wicked rebellion and the power of god displayed in the conversion of the nations i believe by the help of god you will finish the first and also be the means of establishing universal freedom and restoring peace to the union that the god of mercy will bless you in this great work and through life is the prayer of your unworthy servant john phillips 
there is one phrase of the president's speech of the tenth of november which we have quoted which is singularly illustrative not only of the quick apprehension with which he seized upon facts of importance but also of the accuracy and method with which he ascertained and established them within a few hours after the voting had closed he was able to say that the election had shown that we have more men now than we had when the war began a great bundle of papers which lies before us as we write filled with telegrams from every quarter annotated in his own neat handwriting with a mass of figures which would have dismayed an ordinary accountant shows the importance which he attached to the fact and the industry with which he investigated it in his message to congress a few weeks later he elaborated this statement with the utmost care he showed from the comparative votes in eighteen hundred and sixty and in eighteen hundred and sixty four a net increase of votes during the three years and a half of war of one hundred and forty five thousand five hundred and fifty one the accomplished statisticians of the tribune almanac in the following month after the closest study of the official returns expressed their surprise at the singular accuracy of the president's figures an extract from his annual message to congress gives the best summing up of the results of the election that has ever been written the purpose of the people within the loyal states to maintain the integrity of the union was never more firm nor more nearly unanimous than now the extraordinary calmness and good order with which the millions of voters met and mingled at the polls give strong assurance of this not only all those who supported the union tickets so called but a great majority of the opposing party also may be fairly claimed to entertain and to be actuated by the same purpose it is an unanswerable argument to this effect that no candidate for any office whatever high or low has ventured to seek votes on the avowal that he was for giving up the union there have been much impugning of motives and much heated controversy as to the proper means and best mode of advancing the union cause but on the distinct issue of union or no union the politicians have shown their instinctive knowledge that there is no diversity among the people in affording the people the fair opportunity of showing one to another and to the world this firmness and unanimity of purpose the election has been of vast value to the national cause on the day of election general mcclellan resigned his commission in the army and the place thus made vacant was filled by the appointment of general philip h sheridan a fit type and illustration of the turn in the tide of affairs which was to sweep from that time rapidly onward to the great and decisive national triumph End of chapter sixteen